phone and give me a chance to get all this organized. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you, and I am, I am so glad <coughs> that uh, Missouri finally made the list of forbidden states. So uh, I knew it was coming. I noticed that uh, Kansas was already on that list, and I thought, you know, the difference between Kansas City and Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas, is a little bit of water. And uh, so <laughs> not a lot of water, a little bit of water, and it won't be long until the uh, plague crosses over the Missouri River into Kansas City, Missouri. Now, I know it's already been there. You, don't, you understand what I'm saying. But uh, I couldn't believe it was uh, Tuesday when that actually came out, that uh, decree from the uh, Pope of New York. And uh, so at that point, I thought, oh, my. So I was just trying to think of how am I going to be able to do this? I understand what the rule or the penalty is. I don't know how it will be enforced when I go back. But supposedly, when I go back, I'm going to have to fill out health papers, turn them in, and then I'm going to have to self-quarantine for 14 days. And uh, supposedly, they can track you, find out where you are. If they come to your house and you're not there, it's a $3,000 fine for not being where you're supposed to be in your home. So right now, this, this has been on my calendar for months and I thought, I am semi-retired. I may be even more retired when I go back to New York. And uh, I got a lot of books at my house, so I'll read. And sports is coming back, Jeff. You know, we've got hockey's coming back and basketball. No, that's later. I don't know. Something's coming back. And maybe I can watch NASCAR, you know, have them go around and around. I could watch about 14 days of NASCAR races. And... Um, we will do what we have to do, but it's an honor to be asked to be here. It's an honor to be here and to be part of this. Um, Alan was talking about 20 to 25 years. Uh, who has the courage to correct Alan? I mean, does anybody have the courage or the chutzpah to correct Alan Shelby? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. The first time I came out here was 19... 77 or 78. So if you add 22 to 20, that's 42 years ago is the first time I came out here. And I spoke for a youth camp for KCBT. It was their high school kids at Warsaw, Missouri. And it was about 138 degrees every day, as I recall. Half the kids got sick that week just from the heat. But that was the first time I came out here. And then uh, after that, I spoke to college and career people at Camp Mocan back in Kansas City, did that. We uh, continued to devolve, and we went to uh, Old McDonald's Farm, and notice I said devolve, and uh, things just continued to go in that direction. And then 1996, that was 24 years ago, was the last time we had Old McDonald's Farm. And so we used to have camps like these that didn't have air conditioning, that didn't have the luxury facilities that we have at this place. This is a miracle that you can do this. I mean, it really is. This is absolutely out of bounds in New York State. You cannot, a church cannot occupy a state institution and have services of any kind in there. It's, it's incredible. 
uh, of course, it's marching its way across the country, and someday it will come to a neighborhood near you too, I suspect. But uh, this really is a blessing, and enjoy it. Last night in the service, I was looking out and looking across the crowd, and you are all, um, for the most part, relatively young people. And I know very few people here because I go way, I go back 40-some years. Most of you weren't even born the first time that I came out here. In fact, most of you weren't born when Old McDonald's Farm ended back in 1996. So, but that encouraged me. And uh, I looked around and thought, look at all of the people that are still serving the Lord and want to be at a place like this for the week. And I just thought, how encouraging. And I know what's happened over the years. I keep track. I do have a lot of friends. They're more my age now or maybe within a generation, maybe in their 50s or whatnot. But I keep track of the churches out here and the people as best as I can. And uh, just to see this what a great opportunity you have and I have just to be here with all of you. I want to uh, speak on a subject you know, each morning that is, a, is even more fundamental than speaking on the subject of prayer. And honestly, um, I don't know that there's many subjects. Uh, I could count them if there are. I didn't try to count them, but there aren't many subjects that are more important than prayer in the Word of God. But there are some things that are more fundamental than prayer because if you don't have faith, what's prayer all about? You know what I'm saying? So our prayer life really begins with something that we must take for, when I say take for granted, that it needs to be in place before the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Before that's going to happen, there has to be an element of faith in an individual's life. Now, this sounds so basic. About 10% of you have already looked at your watch and wondered, how long is this going to go on? But I want you to understand this. What we are talking about here this morning and the next mornings that follow is the most fundamental and I believe the most important subject that we can talk about. I listened to Alan talk about that three-hour uh, presentation that he watched. And essentially, you could sum up what Alan said as he's talking about the erosion of Christianity. I would put it this way, the erosion of faith, genuine biblical faith in the last 20 years in Christianity. So we're going to talk about faith and we're going to talk about what it is. And I'm going to challenge you to examine yourself. Not your uncle that lives in Wisconsin or somebody you don't necessarily like and wonder if they're truly a Christian. I want you to stop and I want you to listen to what is being said from the Word of God and the challenges that I'm going to give to you. And I want to ask you the question, do I really have biblical faith? For it's by... Uh, grace through faith that we're saved according to Ephesians chapter 8. Salvation is directly tied to the grace of God and the faith that you and I employ or put in the Lord. Let me tell you a story, all right? Let me tell you a story that will illustrate the point that I would like to make. There's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, that's the fifth book in your Bible, 
And a question is asked in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And the question is pretty simple. What does the Lord thy God require of thee? That's a pretty straightforward question. How would you answer that? Well, Moses is preaching, and he answers the question in the middle of the question, and he says this. He lists five things that God requires of us. He says, to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, and to keep his commandments. Those are the five things. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other things. I think that that's a good list. It's probably not an exhaustive list. But those are the things that God requires of us. To fear the Lord, to walk. It talks about our behavior, our daily walk with the Lord. Walk in all of his ways. Then to love him. That's the first and the greatest commandment. Then to serve him. Notice, if these are sequential, that service follows loving God. You see that? See, sometimes we get people, we get people, or we put the guilt trip on people and say, you need to serve. But you know what? The problem is they haven't even fallen in love yet with God. And now we're trying to get them to serve, to do something. I didn't say they're not saved, but they haven't really come to a semi-mature love of God. And we're trying to get them to do things that are beyond their commitment level. Let me put it that way. You don't have to be ultimately, totally, absolutely committed to be saved, that is, that you're willing to go be burned at the stake right before you pray the sinner's prayer. <laughs> I don't, if someone would have put it that way to me when I trusted Christ as Savior, I'm not sure that I would have prayed that prayer right there. I'm not sure I'm ready to be burned at the stake for my faith. But faith is something that grows. Holiness is an absolute term, but it grows in human beings. Commitment Total commitment is an absolute term, but commitment for human beings is not an absolute term, is it? Let me illustrate it this way. I take those five words that, uh, or five phrases that come out of Deuteronomy, to fear God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, and to keep his commandments. I take them and I try to apply them to my life and my relationship with my wife. I'm in my 53rd year of marriage to my wife, Penelope, right now. We have five children. One of them is with uh, us here. This is my son, Jeffrey. He is my second son. We have 14 grandchildren now, but we've been together a long time. But I look at those five things, and I kind of go back in my mind to my relationship with my wife and how that started. And it started like this, you know. I met her, I didn't know her obviously prior, and, and, uh, but I had an interest in her and how that takes place in everybody's life. But um, when I say fear, I mean this about my relationship with my wife, if that's number one. I had a respect and I didn't know how to carry on the, re I didn't know what turned her crank, if you know what I mean, what pleased her, what she liked. So I entered into that relationship asking for a date and going here and going there. And of course, our relationship expanded in time. But I walked very carefully through that because I was afraid I was going to mess it up. You know what I mean? So I was very, very careful 
to make sure that the relationship was progressing in a positive way. I'm going to liken that to the fear of God. And I know that the fear of God is much more than that. But just for the sake of my illustration, stay with me. Because of my fear or my respect or not knowing where this relationship with my wife was going, I began to walk in all of her ways. I wanted to find out what she liked, what she valued, and what she didn't. And then it was my goal to try to meet her there and to please her. You understand what I'm saying? Because I was, I, I was beginning to fall in love with her. So I wanted to please her. So uh, she might say something like, oh, you know what I really like to do? I love to go to the opera. And I'd say, me too. Me. No, I didn't love going to the opera, but all of a sudden I loved opera because she loved opera. So I'm starting to conform my desires or my behaviors to what would be acceptable or pleasing to her. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, is, did anybody else go through this uh, process? Well, in time, I fell in love with my wife or what I believed was love. I mean, after 53 years now, you do mature a little bit and you look at it from different perspectives. And what is real love in a marriage relationship after 50, almost 53 years? I'm in a different position and we're in a different position today. And we look at things from a much more pers uh, mature perspective than we did in 1968 when we got married. That was a long time ago. But anyway, I fell in love with my wife. And what happened was, is I wanted to continue to please my wife, so I found myself serving my wife. What does my wife want to do? Where do you want to go? What would you like to do for Christmas? Do you want to visit the in-laws, or do you want to go here? Do you want to go on vacation? Well, where would you like to go on vacation? Where would you like to go to dinner? Where would you? And I found myself serving her. Now, by the way, if you want to liken this to a relationship with God, you can see how over time, we fall in love with God, but as time goes by, we begin to draw back, just like we do in our marriage relationship. Marriage relationships start out, we want to please the other individual. We're trying to do everything we can to make this relationship really pop. But later on, unfortunately, this is true. After counseling and working with hundreds of couples over the years, that's not the way people are necessarily after they've been married for a year, five years, ten years. It's not so much I want to serve my wife it's, or my husband. It kind of becomes very selfish and selfish motivated. She didn't do this for me or he doesn't like this or he doesn't communicate or he or she never says she loves me. And all of a sudden things kind of turn around. All of a sudden, the marriage becomes more not about her or not even about us, but our marriage becomes more about me. And I'm afraid that that happens to a lot of people in Christianity. Stop and think. Stop and think. Where are you in your relationship? We're talking about faith now. Well, what happened in January of 1968, the 27th to be exact, my wife and I... We made an appointment with a Catholic priest. We were Catholics. And we decided we were going to get married. We got married at St. Mary's Church in Monroe, New York. 
And I remember, I still remember, that we stood before all of the people, relatives and the priest and whoever else was attending that day, and we exchanged vows with one another. And essentially what we said was this, I believe in you. I believe you are the one that God, and even then I was a religious person, that God has prepared for me. And I want you to know this, I will be faithful to you for the rest of my life. That's a big decision. Remember when you got saved? Did you look at your decision to trust Christ as Savior the way you would look at exchanging wedding vows at an altar before a crowd of people? Think about that. I'll tell you what, the salvation decision is much more important than the marriage decision. Much more important. But yet we face that salvation decision sometimes very, very lightly. I fear that there are a lot of people that really didn't understand what faith was and they had an idea what faith was and they made some, prayed some kind of prayer or some kind of, made some kind of commitment, whether it was under duress or whether they were just ignorant, not knowing. And uh, later on, they fell away and they fell away because they never really understood what they were doing when they were trusting Christ as Savior. So I want to talk about faith. Now, I'm not here to try to get anybody lost. I'm going to say that right at the outset of this. I'm just saying that becoming a Christian and living a Christian life is a very serious thing. You understand what I'm saying? It's like getting married, except it's more serious than getting married. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you awake? Are you bored? It's more serious than exchanging vows in an altar in front of two or three hundred people trusting Christ as Savior. You need to know to some degree what you're doing. And I didn't say you need to know everything about marriage to get married. And I didn't say you need to know everything theologically about the Bible or salvation to get saved. I'm not saying that. But there are some things that you need to understand to truly trust Christ as Savior. So open your Bibles, if you would, this morning. And uh, that's a good long introduction I think my sermon will probably be about equal length to my introduction. Hebrews chapter number 11. That's one of the great faith chapters in Scripture. So now that I've given you just a little bit of uh, my take, comparing my relationship with my wife, my commitment, my vows to my wife, my faithfulness to my wife, and all of that is, now I want to transfer that over and look at my relationship with God in a similar light. Hebrews chapter 11, in verse number 1. I'm just going to read through the first six verses here. Now, faith is the substance. Do you know that faith has substance? And it has evidence. That's what this chapter is all about. Faith has substance and evidence. It's more than just words. It has substance and evidence. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. See, here's the substance of faith. These, this is what the chapter's all about. Now we're going to learn what people who had real faith did. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Be doers of the word. I didn't go to the altar, exchange vows with my wife, and then walk away thinking I had no responsibility from that day forward. I accepted responsibility. Knowingly, willingly, I didn't understand all of it, but I understood some of it, and I was willing to make a commitment to the point where I was living in my life that day. I said, you're the one, nobody else, I will be faithful to you. Is that what you said to God when you got saved? See, this is a serious decision. Again, I'm not trying to get you lost. I'm not trying to say that salvation is a very difficult thing to come to, and you have to be a theologian. You've got to have a master's degree in theology to truly trust Christ. No, you don't. I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's a serious decision. Faith is a serious thing. Before you ever go to the tabernacle and pray, you're going to have to have genuine faith to walk in there and pray. That's a predicate to prayer. You have to have faith. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A righteous man is a man who's righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's effective when it's a fervent prayer that meets those qualifications. Verse number five, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, was, was found, was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's the point. You are created to please God. Some of the greatest philosophical questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And you could probably come up with a couple more like who am I or whatnot. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to please God. You're here to please God. You're not here necessarily to be a missionary, to be a deacon in the church, to give 50% of your income in tithing and missions. Not necessarily, although those things could be ways in which you please God. Are you pleasing God? That's the big question. Am I pleasing God? For, it says in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. <clears throat> now I'm going to focus my messages on verse number 6. I want to take that apart and talk about what faith really is. So we've got Hebrews 11 verse number 6. There's two great chapters 
in the New Testament that deal with faith. We're looking at one here, Hebrews chapter 11, but the other one is Romans chapter 4, and we'll look at that tomorrow morning, all right, and see what it says. This chapter is more illustrative, more practical. Romans chapter 4 is more theological. So I thought I'd give you the practical before we get a little deeper into the theology of of what this is all about, and you'd be, I think, better prepared. But you know, as well as I do, that there's many verses in the New Testament that deal with this subject. Romans 10, verse number 17 says, So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's why we put such an emphasis on the Bible. It's not just because we're crazy. It's not just because it's a nice tool to have. It's something, a a nice accessory to walk into the church service with, to have a nice Bible, you know, a $55 or $155 Bible. The reason is that the word of God brings faith, which is essential to our Christianity. For as the body without the spirit is dead, James says, so faith without works is dead. Romans chapter 4 says, now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, Hebrews chapter 4 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. Faith. No profit without faith. Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude, the man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And then, of course, Hebrews chapter 11 that we looked at, Faith has substance in evidence. So my second slide. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And this is what this message is about. What pleases God? That is the biggest question that you should have in your mind as a Christian every day of your life. What can I do to please God? And in every decision that I make, I don't care about COVID. I don't care about riots and demonstrations and economy and politics and all this stuff. Get it out of your mind. And it's hard to get it out of your mind. All this stuff is distracting us and getting us away from the things that are most important. And that is your relationship with God. Christians are divided over these issues that were never divided over the Bible. But now they're divided over all this foolishness. I'm not saying there isn't anything to it. Lay it aside. Forget it while you're here at camp. Don't turn on the news. Don't do it. Focus on your relationship with God here. Are you pleasing him? Are you pleasing God? That's why you are here. My third slide says we are created for God's pleasure. The Bible says that. I'll read you one verse from Revelation chapter 4, verse number 10 and 11. It says that the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Listen to the end. For thou hast created 
all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Creation, the universe, the tabernacle, everything created for God's pleasure. That's why you're here. And if you don't please God in your life, you're failing God's purpose for you. What pleases God? Faith pleases God. But there's more specific things, certainly in the scripture, that we'll talk about momentarily. But we are not created, my fourth slide says, we are not created to be men pleasers. That's not why we're here. Oftentimes we have to make decisions and we're, and we're trying to figure out, you know, if I do this, you know, so-and-so is going to be mad at me or they won't understand or whatnot. But what is the bottom line? If I'm going to please somebody, and I would hope to with my life, I need to please God first with my behaviors, my thoughts, my actions, my words need to be pleasing to him. That is the most important thing. Now the question is, what pleases God? Now, many things please God that are uh, based or they are evidenced, or I should put it this way, faith is evidenced in several things. This list that's going to come up now, all of these things are found in the scriptures in a verse that says that this pleases God. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't other things because actually prayer is not on this list. I didn't find a verse that said that specifically, although it's obvious from our series uh, uh, in the evening that that pleases God and from many other passages of Scripture. But every one of these things on this list is in a verse that says this pleases God. What pleases God? When we come in here and we genuinely praise God, our words of commendation, speaking the gospel, speaking the words of the scriptures to other people. The fear of God uh, pleases God. Uprightness, his people, gifts to other people, certainly in his name. And there's scripture verses in my notes for each one of these. They're not on the screen. So you can do what I did. You can grab your concordance and look up the word pleasure and pleasing and please and all that and go through your whole Bible and see what pleases God. That is, if it's important to you. And all the things on this list, and probably there's some others that I missed, are attached. Purposed living. 1 Corinthians 10.31 pleases God. When we make requests of God, like Solomon did for wisdom, 1 Kings chapter 3, it says that that pleased God when Solomon came to him and asked him for wisdom and understanding. That pleased God, specifically. The sixth slide says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Remember that. If you're trying to please God, let me give you a quick quick illustration here. Every now and then, as a pastor, you know, Christian music and praise music and that is kind of an Achilles heel for pastors. There's always somebody in your congregation that doesn't like the music. And I can't tell you how many conversations, I've had more conversations about that with people over the last 40 years than anything else. Oh, pastor, I didn't like the music, and I didn't like this, and I didn't like that. And 
Very rarely do people come and say, boy, I really liked it. But they stay there, so it can't be that bad anyway. But they, they, they'd come up and say, oh, I didn't like it. Well, I finally learned. Finally learned, and I'd look at them and I'd say, let me ask you a question. Did that song please God? They don't know how to answer that one. I said, the music, the praise music, isn't for you. It's not for you. Come on, didn't you get it yet? Praise and worship music is for him. So how do you know he didn't like it? That does end the conversation. It does. What are you going to say to that? They don't know if it pleased God or not. They probably don't think it did, but they know they can't tell me they're sure it didn't. It's not to please you. That really helped me. Because there's, there's songs that I don't particularly, they aren't my favorites. It's true of everybody in here. We're all different. You know why there's so many different restaurants out there? Because we all like different stuff. We like to eat different. Today I want to eat this. I want Chinese. Today I want Italian. Tomorrow I want a hamburger on Friday. You know, we're always, and people are like that with music. Some people like classical. Some people like, you know, bebop. Some people like rock and roll. Some people, now I'm not talking about immoral music, but styles and music. Everybody's got a different taste in it. That's okay. I wonder what God likes. Did you notice that there's no musical notes in the Bible? Did you ever notice that? You know why? Because human beings would be worshiping the notes or the rhythm instead of worshiping the God of the words of the Bible. That's what's important. Anyway, I got that off my chest. I feel better now. I can't even tell you. I used to look at people. I say, listen, I made a promise to God that I'd never talk about music ever again with anybody else. Do you want me to break my promise? That's another way to end that discussion also. <laughs> Faith. My testimony, I came a short distance to salvation. Short distance to salvation, very short. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, won me over. Short distance. I was raised a Catholic. I was told that the Bible was the word of God. As a Catholic, I was. I was told that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. I was told that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I was told that, there was a, that God was a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I was told and I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, literally. Not figuratively, but literally, invisibly. And I was told that he's coming again. And I could go, I believed all that before I got saved. You say, well, what was your problem? My problem was I thought I could contribute my works were my problem. I thought Jesus and George would save me. You know, Jesus and George going to church, Jesus and being holy and right, and George being holy and righteous would save me. My works, my religious religiosity is what my problem was. And once I got over that and realized it was Jesus only, he is the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And George has nothing to do with it. It's not in 1 John chapter 5. It's not in John 3.16. George has nothing to do with it. When I got there, I got saved. 
It was, a, it was a short distance, but it still took me about six or seven weeks to get there. As much as I believed, it still took time to get there. Everybody's different. Everybody. I don't know what you knew or what you do know or what your objections were, but don't look at people and say, well, they should have got saved by now. You don't know what people are dealing with. Faith is a very, very, very precious thing. But this got me. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The fellow that witnessed to me, he showed that verse to me. I looked at it, and it shut my mouth. I had no more objections. I got it. I believed. I exercised faith. I feared God. I decided I got to turn my life around and walk in his ways. And I believe if I don't love him now that I will fall in love with him. And I want to serve him. And I want to be a keeper of his commandments. I fell in love with God over time just like I fell in love with my wife. It didn't all happen in one day. But it came. It was real. It became part of me. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. The word believe means more than just believe that, that Jesus Christ historically existed. Belief, and I don't have time to go into all this, but it implies commitment, just like when you exchange vows at a, at a wedding ceremony. It's implying a level of trust. I trust my wife. I didn't go to the altar and say, listen, I hope you don't cheat on me, honey. And if you don't, I'm, 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 I'm going I'm to go along with this. But the first time you mess up, I want you to know I'm out of here. Now, it had nothing to do with, I trusted my wife. I said, I will be faithful. Now, I understand that's a relative term. I have not always fulfilled my commitments to the max to my wife. But I'm still married. <laughs> I have not always fulfilled all of my commitments to my Lord, in the belief that I had, in the trust I had when I trusted Christ as Savior. I've had my bad days as a Christian, but I'm still a Christian. I'm still a Christian. We're human beings. We don't do anything absolutely. We're always got some kind of, in the back of our mind, what's in it for me thing. Even when I don't want that, I've got that. Yeah, I'm going to give this gift, and I hope I get a tax deduction to keep my taxes down this year. You know, there's always something in it for me. It's almost, maybe not for you, but it's almost impossible for me to do anything out of a pure heart. Sorry, I know you want to leave now, don't you? I listen to you. I'm trying. I'm committed. I have my bad days, but I'm still married. I'm still married. And I need to dust myself off and pick myself up and get back to it, man, and recommit myself. Tell my wife, I love you. I'm sorry. I don't want to fight with my wife. I don't want to live in the same house with somebody that I dislike. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to a church that 
professes Christ and honors Christ and glorifies Christ, if I'm not going to do that myself, I'll go to a ball game or go golfing or something. I can cuss on the golf course just as well as I can cuss in church. Am I connecting with you? What does it mean to believe? Or what does it mean to have faith? Belief or faith means assent, at least. By the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. So when I talk about knowledge, I'm including the fear of the Lord because knowledge does not come without fear of the Lord, according to the book of Proverbs. So belief really begins with a fear of the Lord, going back to Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, begins with the fear of the Lord, which gives me knowledge. So, belief or faith means assent. Faith is believing that certain things are true. I believe in God, and that means I believe there is a God, or I am of the opinion that God exists, and faith affirms a belief in the existence of God. That's a starting point for all of this. The rise of relativistic thinking strikes at the heart of faith. For relativism tells us that we can know nothing that is absolutely true. Particularly when it comes to personal opinions, social, spiritual, psychological beliefs. Do I absolutely know? (laughs) I'm going to blow somebody out of here. I believe strongly that I'm saved. Because of that book. The Bible. That's what connects me to God is that book. You say, well, are you absolutely sure? My response to that, I'm as sure as I possibly can be as a human being. Do you understand that? At this point in my life, will I be more sure tomorrow? Maybe. And the next day, maybe. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Faith grows. It grows and it grows. And it ought to be growing. You ought not to be sick and tired of your marriage to the Lord because you got saved. And you've been living there now and you know, know, the honeymoon is over, God. You think I'm going to pray tomorrow? (laughs) You think I'm going to go to church this Sunday? Uh -uh. I got to wear a mask and I ain't going. You come up with all kinds of excuses to blow God off, just like we come up with all kinds of excuses to blow off the people that we claim that we love the most and that we've committed ourselves to in the holiest and most important human relationship on the face of the earth and marriage. But faith is believing that certain things are true. My tenth slide, but faith Or belief means more than assenting to the existence of God. Faith or belief implies trust. Just like I illustrated at my wedding ceremony. It's illustrating that I trust my wife. Not just, oh yeah, I'll say the words here so we can get on to the wedding reception. It's more than that. Faith or belief, my next slide says, the real belief leads to commitment. Commitment. Well, I got saved, but I don't do anything. Show me your faith by your works, James chapter 2. Show me your commitment. Or in the words of Hebrews chapter 11, where's the evidence? Where's the substance of your faith? 
That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. Look at what those people did. Look at all the illustrations in there of the things they did. That's the substance. That's the evidence of their faith. And true faith not only leads to commitment, but it must lead to obedience because obedience, and again, that's a relative thing. Am I perfect? No. Am I always obedient? No. Do I always love my wife to the extreme? No. But I love her, and I'm still married. I'm still married, even when I'm having a bad day, even when I'm upset, even when I don't disagree, when I disagree, when I don't disagree with her, that's rare. No, <laughs> when I disagree with her. Do you understand what I'm saying? It leads to obedience. What does it mean to believe? Faith or belief leads to real commitment, and true belief or faith must lead to obedience. Let me give you the next slide here, and I can finish up with this. Said enough here today. Let me see if I can read it off here. True belief or faith. I've just kind of put what I've just said in the last 10, 15 minutes together here. Now remember, knowledge, the fear of God brings knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. So, so it is included in knowledge. I would also include another word. If I did this list again, I would put a word in there called repentance. Repentance. When I trusted my wife in my wedding uh, uh, ceremony, implicit in my commitment to my wife is repentance for any other relationship I had with any other woman in my life. Not important. No more. Those things have ended. I repented of both girlfriends I had. <laughs> or three or four. Whatever they were. I don't know. Sometimes I thought they were my girlfriend. They just didn't think I was their boyfriend. Anyway, you know how that goes. But I repented of all other relationships. And I started new and fresh. And I said, Lord, you're the one that I turned from my sin. That's what repentance is. And I turned to my wife, to God. And I made my commitment solely to her. The fear of the Lord brings knowledge. We repent we assent, we believe it to be true, we trust, it's implicit in the whole thing, we make a commitment and we obey and I understand that these terms, because we're dealing with human beings, that these are relative terms. The bottom line is this, do you really want to please God? Do you really want to please God? When people don't meet these things, when you don't meet these things, you've got to ask yourself, question yourself, what am I doing? What am I here for? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to bring pleasure to God. Last slide. We're going to talk about some of the other phrases in this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible. For he that cometh to God, you got to come to God. You're an atheist, you got to come to God. 
That pleases God when the atheist begins to ask questions. Must believe that he is. That sounds simple to us, but it's not simple to everybody. And that he is a rewarder. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Many times it talks about the reward the individual received as a result of the faith that they exercised in God. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. My last thought is this. You have a Bible institute available to you. God help you if you don't diligently seek him. 1,500 pages in a book. You have your whole life to master that 1,500 pages. And yet we remain so ignorant about what's inside it. And it is our connection to God. You ought to be in an institute class. You ought to always be learning something about the Bible because it's really what life is all about. Pleasing Him, the knowledge of God. Not pleasing yourself. Pleasing Him. I challenge you. Well, I haven't been in school in a long time. I don't know if I can do it. I challenge you. Please God with your life. Get to know Him. Make it a priority. Sign up today. Father, we thank you now for the Lord Jesus Christ. 